Well, hey, Heritage, good morning. We are so glad that you've joined us for this second week of our In, Up, Out message series. My name's Jeremiah, and uh, I get to be part of the team here. And as I said, we're just thrilled that you're here joining us from all of our locations today as we dig into God's Word and press into what He has to say to us. I've been part of the team here for about six months, and uh, it's been a great, great journey for me and my family. But one of the things that you may not yet know about me is that I'm the oldest of three kids in my family. And I know as soon as I say that, uh, the older kids are like, yes, solidarity. Someone who understands what it is to be the oldest child. When you're an oldest child, let me just share with you, okay? There are three things you need to thrive. One of them is to be the center of attention. The other is to be right. And the third is to win, okay? Now, you middle kids, I know I've lost you already. Don't worry, we'll win you back, all right? And, and, the, and the youngest child, of course, you're saying, like, that's okay, I'm the baby, everybody loves me. So, don't worry, there's no bitterness there. But I, I remember this story. I will never forget the first time my little brother, Anthony, who's two years younger than me, hurt me. And I mean, like, hurt me, hurt me. Somebody call a doctor, stop the bleeding kind of hurt me. We were out on a camping trip with some cousins and my dad and his friends, and we had gone to the White Mountains in northern Arizona. We kind of drove as far as we could drive, and then we walked a little ways into the woods, and then we set up camp there. That's important to note, because what you need to hear when you hear we drove for a while, we walked for a while, we camped for a while, is that we were far, far, far away from medical care. Okay, that's going to become significant in a second here. One of our favorite pastimes on a camping trip was to take spent beverage cans, crush them up, and then use the seven iron that my dad kept with him for whatever reason uh, to see who could hit the cans the furthest. And as the oldest child, I'm proud to say I was winning this day, okay? That's a good thing because the person who lost, my little brother Anthony, had to go retrieve the spent cans so that we would be faithful in leaving nothing but footprints as we camped. And on this particular day, I had been full of encouragement, as older siblings are likely to be, right? Telling his younger brother how much better I am than him. And uh, eventually, it got the best of Anthony to the point that he took the seven iron and just went for it with the can. He was going to prove me wrong, except he totally missed the can. And so all of that pent-up energy from years of older brother encouragement had just released itself in the seven iron so much so that he ended up spinning around and made solid contact not with the can but with my head, which I know for many of you, you're thinking, that explains it all. <laughs> I, I get that, okay? But it hurt. And it took me weeks and weeks and weeks to recover, though it didn't start till after we went home from camping, because you're camping in the middle of the woods, you just got to deal with it. So we spent several more days <laughs> in the woods with me with a seeping head wound before we went home and got medical care, which that's a whole other conversation for another time, I'm sure. But even to this day, when the weather is right, when the conditions are, are just so, I can be reminded of that head injury, because it'll, it'll start to hurt again. And I think for each of us, in all of our stories, there are seven iron moments, aren't there? Hopefully in your story, it's not an actual seven iron, because that's just not fun. But we all have a seven iron story. 
We all have a story where someone injures us. Maybe the seven iron in your story is betrayal or cheating or addiction. I don't know what the seven iron is in your story, but I know that there is one or two or several stories. And if your story is anything like mine, when the conditions are right, when, when it's just right, you can be reminded of that pain, even though you are pretty sure you've moved all the way past it. And yet, you and I are called to live in relationship with the people around us. The truth is, each of us, at one point, has been on both ends of the seven iron, haven't we? We've all received pain, and we've all inflicted it on others, not necessarily intentionally, although sometimes that's the case, and yet we are left with having to know how do we navigate the relationships of life around us when we've been hurt. We believe this as a church. This is your first fill-in, okay? And it's that we have been created for healthy relationships with others. We were created for healthy relationships with others. We so believe that that you'll often hear us talking about living loved and linked, that's the relationship part, and sent. That we really believe God designed us for healthy relationships with others, but how do we experience healthy relationships with others when we are wounded people in relationship with other wounded people? What what does it look like to pursue that? The answer is found, I believe, in in some of these great passages of Scripture that we're going to dig into together. But what we need to know first, as as we get ready to launch into this, is this powerful truth, all right? It's that this, when we live in unity, heaven meets earth. When we live in unity, heaven meets earth you are going to want to pay attention to this passage of Scripture. It's the one that Pastor Sean used last week. It says, don't you realize that all of you together, everybody say together. Together. All right, now say together, together. All of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you. This is huge, okay? What's just been stated here is that you and I individually aren't so much the temple of God, but that God's temple is found in the community of followers of Jesus. That the church the world over, those who call on the name of Jesus, make up the temple of God. That's huge. In Jewish thinking, in Jewish thought, and the person who's writing this is a a Jewish rabbi by trade, he would know that in that thinking, the temple was the place. It was considered the place on earth where heaven and earth intersected, where on earth you could experience the presence and power of God. And here we see that you and I somehow, when we live in unity, are a place where heaven can meet earth. It's amazing to me. I want to pause there for just a second and say this. The things we're going to be uh, looking at today, they are true for all of us, no matter where we're at. They can be found to be true in all of our relationships. So if you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, that's okay. You're going to learn some things, I believe, about how you can navigate the relationships God has given you. But there are going to be some nuances about what it means for us as followers of Jesus, especially, okay? 
Now, that being said, as we talk about this, about heaven meeting earth in our unity and in our relationships, that can be a thing that's sort of uh, hard to picture. It can be hard for us to get a sense of what that actually looks like. So I want to share a story with you of a couple of friends of mine who are part of the Heritage family, who in a season of life entered a place of great pain and challenge, but God took that moment and took their living in unity to make heaven real for those around them. Their names are John and Kendall, and they're going to share some of their story in this video. So take a look, okay? So I was in Waterloo sitting, or sitting in meetings and participating in meetings for work and had been suffering a pretty severe headache all week long and really didn't pay much attention to it, just normal pulled muscle type thing is what I was thinking. So I just went into our bedroom and went to bed about 7.30 that night and waking up about 4 a.m. thinking I had to get up pretty soon for men's fraternity. And I was trying to position my head and my neck, so I was trying to get some relief from my headache, and it just wasn't working. And I just decided I was going to get up to try to use the restroom, and then basically I kind of fell out of bed. And I just remember Kendall waking up and saying, are you okay, are you okay? And just saying, I'm fine, but she said, are you suffering an episode? And what she meant, a vertigo, and I'm like, no, that's not it. I said, I just feel really weak. And I just couldn't hardly get up for some reason went over and with um, his help we were able to get him back in the bed and I was just processing, you know. I asked him, I said, do you need to go to the hospital? And he said, no, the hospital's for sick people. And so I was processing how much do I push him and you go to the doctor and about that point he said, my tongue is starting to swell. I was able to call the neighbor and come over. Um, I remember Jalen being across the bed looking at me and asking about, you know, his daddy is daddy sick, is daddy gonna be okay? And, and being able to confidently look at her and say, daddy's gonna be okay. I didn't know what okay was gonna look like, but daddy was gonna be okay. Um, and from that point, then I called Cindy, um, our small group leader. Um, she was always up and explained that we were on the way to the hospital, um, that John had seems to have had, had suffered from a stroke. Our small group came in, they knew that I didn't wanna leave him, so they would just sit in the family room and pray. They, we had hundreds and thousands of people praying for us, but they wanted to be in the vicinity, under the same roof, to be able to pray for us. So we're just, that, that meant a lot. Not that, the, you know, they didn't want to see him. Absolutely, very humbling. Just appreciative of all the prayers from anyone, even if they were on a prayer chain. It's just a huge thing to have somebody pray for your recovery and your health. During that time, we had someone come in that day and clean our house, and we'd had a play date the night before, and they were able to clean all of the toys and get that out of the way. Our, during that night, um, well actually prior to that, our small group had signed up to take shifts to come in and pray. Cindy was able to get in touch with Jason. Jason came to the hospital, so he asked if he could pray with us before uh, we left. And I don't remember much of the prayer, but I do remember um, Jason saying, you know, God, if you give us a miracle, then this couple will give you credit for the miracle that you've given. Um, after the prayer, John lifted his left leg, and then with a few moments later, he lifted his left arm, and I hit the nurse's call button, and I just started yelling, praise God, praise God, we've, we've got a miracle. And then the doctor came in, and he said, praise Jesus. So he had taken it beyond just God to, to call Jesus by name and pushed the door to and prayed over us. And he said he had seen it twice in 20 to 30-something years. You know, there's still times that we, we look at 
what God has given us and the miracle of your life. Um, and to know the humbling of that people love us enough to be able to do the things and take it's care of us. It's hard to be on us. the receiving end of that for people who typically want to provide that help to others. Yeah, we're always the one giving, so being able to receive it was... It's hard sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> it's not pride, it's just don't feel like you deserve it. Mm -hmm. I love the story of how this group living in unity made heaven real for people. Did you catch that? Part of the story is that the doctor came back in, saw what had happened, and ended up actually putting in the official chart that somebody prayed and John got better. Heaven was made real. But not just in the hospital room in that awesome, miraculous moment of healing, but as that small group of people pursued unity together and cared for each other and pursued the best of one another. Don't you believe that the people around them saw heaven made real? And the reality is in the context of this scripture we were looking at earlier that the whole context is about unity. The writer begins with a conversation to people who are insisting that they follow one teacher or another teacher or a better teacher of the gospel. And his response is, don't you realize that all of you together are God's temple? And then he goes even further and says, so don't let anybody be found tearing apart God's temple. This is all about the pursuit of radical unity. And when we live in unity, heaven meets earth. And the reality is, there's, there's never been a time like this where the world around us is so desperate for a taste of heaven. Just the other day, I was traveling home and catching up on some of the news of recent days. I was reading through my news app, and I just want to share with you the first few headlines that I saw as I opened that up. It says, 128 killed in Paris attacks. Earthquake hits near Japan. Tsunami advisory issued. People pinned inside tour bus after San Francisco crash. Kurdish forces recapture towns in Iraq and Syria. Racial tension rising in college campuses across the United States. All in a moment, these headlines are kind of at the top of what's going on in our world, and they serve as a reminder that the world is desperate for a taste of heaven. And when you and I live in unity, we can help people experience that. It's, it's amazing. But the question is, how do we do that in a seven iron world? How do we pursue unity when, when again, we are hurting and have hurt others? Well, the truth is that unity must be pursued. Unity is something which must be pursued. It doesn't happen on its own. Just like anything else, relationships will kind of drift apart if they're not given proper attention and maintenance along the way. That's true of our relationships with other followers of Jesus. It's true in our romantic relationships and relationships with our kids at work, with the people we hang out with, that unity must be pursued preserved and pursued. And we're passionate about that at Heritage because we know when we live in unity, heaven is made real to those around us. 
hopefully by now you're asking the question, well, how do we do that? How do we pursue unity together? And I'm so glad you asked. Because Jesus, in the book of Matthew, actually begins to unpack a little bit of that for us. And so we're going to spend a few moments looking at that right now. In Matthew chapter 18, and follow, uh, verse 15 and following, he says this. This is Jesus speaking. If your brother or sister sins, and I want to pause there, okay? In the context of what we're reading, you could understand that very rightly to be if your brother or sister sins against you. This is how you're to interact, how we're to handle that. But Jesus, the master teacher, intentionally kind of leaves that against you part hanging off. And I believe that's because when you and I are in unified relationship with one another, we love each other enough to have the hard conversation with each other that says, you aren't living in the best way that God has for you. That's part of it. Uh, the other part of it is, is a reminder for us that when we sin against each other, that sin is ultimately against God. All sin is ultimately against God. So he continues, he says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Go to them and point out their fault. You'll notice he doesn't say, if your brother or sister sins, go gather your friends and tell them all about it right? That's not it. Go to them and tell them their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if that doesn't happen, if they do not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, if you're following along, I want you to circle or highlight or underline where it says two or three in that. It's going to be important in a moment, okay? If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church, to the gathering of God's people. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, the way so many of us read that last part is that that is permission, once we've interacted with someone enough, to just give up on them. That we're allowed now to just sever all ties and just forget about it. That's not what Jesus is saying here. I want you to think for a moment, those of you who are familiar with the stories of Jesus, how did Jesus interact with pagans and tax collectors? He found opportunities to demonstrate love to them, right? He found opportunities to be winsome around them. Now, he's not telling us that you and I are, are somehow supposed to live in consistent dysfunction. We're not supposed to perpetuate dysfunction in relationships. In fact, this whole conversation is about stopping the dysfunction. But at some point in our relationships, there comes a point where we say, okay, this person cannot live in full unity because they're living in brokenness, but I'm, going, I'm not going to just discard them but now choose a posture where they can be one to the things of Jesus and relationship with those around them. This is a really significant uh, process that Jesus gives us, and it's brilliant. It works in any relationship. When there is brokenness, you can go one-on-one, two-on-one, group-on-one in the pursuit of restoring relationship. And you need to know that's the win here. The win that Jesus is talking about, the point of all of this, isn't so that our side is heard. It's not so that the offending party feels really, really bad about what they've done. No. The point here is that relationship is restored, that unity 
is known. That the person actually ends up finding great relationship with Jesus in this. That's amazing in and of itself. That Jesus gives us a how-to lean into unity and relationships. But I want you to see what happens when we do that. It's the next fill-in in your guide if you're following along. It's that it is in the presence of unity that we are promised the supernatural presence of Jesus. It is in the pursuit of unity that we are promised the supernatural presence of Jesus. Watch this. In the same scripture where Jesus is talking about forgiving one another, about walking into relationship, in right relationship with each other, in restoring relationship by going one-on-one, two-on-one, etc., Jesus says, for where two or three, remember we just circled that earlier, where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Whoa. The context here isn't where two or three gather in prayer, although that is true that Jesus is there with us when we do that, but that's not what this promise is about and what so many of us have taken it to mean. This promise is that when you and I step into the pursuit of unity with each other, that is where Jesus can be found. His presence is there with us. One, I think it's because he knows we cannot restore relationships on our own. And we need him to do that work. We need him to bring the power of his resurrection and the hope of his gospel into that moment. But I love that we, we can know the supernatural presence of Jesus. You want to experience him as never before? Pursue unity. Watch and see what Jesus does as we do that together. Jesus isn't the first person, though, to really kind of unpack this need for us to live in unity. A long time before Jesus lived on the earth, there was a man by the name of Solomon who is thought to be the the next wisest person who ever lived, the only person wiser being Jesus. He was incredibly wise, and he wrote down these little nuggets of wisdom in, uh, in a book called Proverbs. And in that book, there's a lot of conversation about relationship with God and relationship with others. And it's worth noting, part of the reason we're talking about this today is because our relationship with other people is really primarily about our relationship with God. That our human relationships tell the story of how how much vitality our relationship with God has. If we're living in consistent brokenness around us, it's a symptom that we're living in brokenness in relationship with God. And in the midst of that dynamic interchange of knowing that how we interact with others tells the story of how we're interacting with God, that this is really important to him, this is what Solomon uh, shares, okay? He says, there are six things the Lord hates. That's strong language. Seven that are detestable to him. Okay, you tracking? He just said, here, let me share with you Six things, no, no, seven, that God finds detestable. Haughty eyes, it's pride. All right, I like, I like that, right? I don't like it when people act out of pride around me. That, I'm glad God caught on to that, and he's tracking. A lying tongue, makes sense. Hands that shed innocent blood, yes, God is a God of justice. 
a heart that devises wicked schemes. I'm so glad to know God is, is following along in that. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. A false witness who pours out lies. Yes, but as we're talking here, you need to know that the writer is building up to the most significant thing. The thing that breaks God's heart the most in this list. Are you ready for it? A person who stirs up conflict in the community. I don't know how to process all of that. The thing that breaks God's heart the most, that moves him in this, is when we are found not preserving, but pulling unity apart. In light of what we just read, of what Jesus was sharing earlier, where we are promised his presence, it reminds me that how we navigate the challenges, the wounds in our relationships, how we pursue unity, places us either in that place where we experience the supernatural presence of Jesus because he is there as we pursue unity and he makes heaven real as we do that. We can choose to do that or we can choose to stand on the side of what God hates. But remember, he gives us the person of Jesus to enable us, to move us, to experience more and more of what he has for us. We stir up conflict in the community when we, when we refuse to speak with our brother or sister, but instead are found talking about them. When we're talking about someone, usually we're trying to get people on our side, right? You won't believe what brother so-and-so did to me. That when, as soon as we start talking about choosing sides, it's a symptom of deep division, the opposite of unity. And yet, we know in the power and presence of Jesus, we can, we can speak with someone and preserve that unity. We choose. We choose what we will do in this. Jesus, also in the book of Matthew, continues to talk about how we engage in relationship. We've been talking a lot about what do we do when someone injures us, when we're the wounded party in a relationship. And I love that God cares enough about us to show us how to do that. But as we said before, we've all been on both sides of the seven iron, haven't we? We've all been the offending party at one point or another. And in chapter 5 of the book of Matthew, we're not going to read it together, but it's in your sermon notes guide. In chapter 5 of the book of Matthew, Jesus tells his followers that if you go to worship and leave a sacrifice for God, and you realize in that moment that your brother or sister has something against you, that you have wounded them in some way, he says you should leave your gift at the altar, go back to the people you have wounded, go back to the offended party, and make things right, and then come and worship. What that tells me is that brokenness in our human relationships, when we preserve brokenness in our human relationships, it disqualifies us from worship. We cannot truly worship when we're living in dysfunction in our relationships. Jesus says, you got to leave the gift, go make it right, and then return. I am so thankful that he loves us so much that he calls us to more 
And then he shows us how to pursue that together. Isn't that great? I'm so thankful for that. But the reminder is we have a responsibility, regardless of where we're at, to pursue unity together. And when we do that, heaven can be made real. But what do we do from here? How do we move forward now? So, so what? This is some great conversation. At least I hope it's been great conversation. But what do we do from here? And the first thing I think that would be helpful for us is to ask this simple question. What does it look like to lean in to healthy relationships in the week ahead? What does it look like to lean into healthy relationship in the week ahead? As we've been talking this morning, as, as you've been engaging and listening, I am convinced that God's Spirit has been bringing situations to mind. He's been bringing names and faces and moments, things you had maybe even long forgotten about. I believe that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you about where He wants you to experience the presence of Jesus so heaven can be made real some places where we can pursue radical unity together. So we ask the question, what does it look like to lean in to healthy relationship in the week ahead? And then there are some handholds I want us to walk away with of how we might do that, some things we might do to lean into healthy relationship together. The first one is to connect in a group. To connect in a group. It's in a group where we find a group of other people who love us enough to have the hard conversations. In our journey group and class environments that we have as Heritage, we have these ready-made places for you to step in to healthy relationship, to experience the reality of what it means to live united with each other and in Jesus and find a group of people who will care for you, who will love you enough to have hard conversations with you, who will be there when you have the seven iron moments of life and walk through that with you. That's John and Kendall's story. Remember? And when there was challenge in life, they gathered their group. That's where you and I will find the best level of care in, in this place. That's where we will find what it means to truly live in unity and connection with one another. It's in those group environments. We will do our very best to care for you and give you what you need if you're part of Heritage, but, but it won't be anything like you can experience in one of our groups. So if you're not in a group, you need to get in a group. There's a, a Christian author by the name of Reggie McNeil who says this. He says, with the entire world in need of salvation, with the entire world in need of rescue and hope, Jesus created a tight community of a dozen close friends to demonstrate the importance of our belonging to one another. You can experience that by stepping into one of our groups. And, and today, if you're, if you're here, in the lobbies at each of our campuses, Steve Gottsent, who's the Connections pastor here, his picture is going to be up in just a moment. Uh, Steve Gottsent will be at the information booth at Rock Island. And Kendall, you remember her from earlier, she'll be at the information center in our Bentendorf campus. You can connect with them today and find out more about getting in a group. So how, what does it look like to lean into healthy relationship this week? First thing, if you're not in a group, get in a group. It will change everything for you. The second thing is this, have the conversation. Have the conversation. That Matthew 18 conversation where you need to go to your brother or sister 
and say, I, I feel like there's some brokenness here. I feel like there's some wound here. And here's what's happened. How do we restore unity in this? Or have the Matthew 5 conversation and go to them and say, I know I have hurt you. Maybe I didn't mean to, but I know I hurt you. And it doesn't matter if I meant to or not, because it hurts the same. And then to seek their forgiveness. And we need to have the conversation. You know, if there's a conversation that needs to be had, you know what it is, because God in his faithfulness has been bubbling that up to you throughout the morning. Pray for his presence. He promises it there. And then go have that conversation. The third thing is this, that we pursue speaking with, not about. We pursue speaking with, not about. That's related to the conversation piece, but it's really more about our posture and our intention. That you and I will be people who pursue speaking with our brother and sister. That we won't find gossip in our ranks. That the moment we hear someone speaking to us about someone else, our response is, Let's go speak to them together. Have you talked to that person? Let's go with them together. More and more, in fact, you're going to hear uh, our staff as you interact in that way, and, and they hear about challenge, they'll ask you, let's go talk to that person together. Because when we do that, we are in the radical pursuit of, or we're in the pursuit of radical unity. And it's in unity that heaven meets earth. And it's in those conversations that we can experience the very real, very powerful presence of Jesus. He cares so deeply for you and for me. And he cares so deeply about our relationships with one another. So in the week ahead, ask God to reveal to you, what does it look like to lean into healthy relationship? Get in a group, have the conversation and engage in speaking with, not about. And watch, watch how we begin to experience heaven as never before. Would you pray with me, please? Father, dear, thank you so much for the gift of each other and for the gift of your word and for the gift of your spirit who speaks your truth and shows us where, where we can experience more of you and the wholeness in life and relationship that only you can bring. Lord, I know as we're talking about these things, there are, there are stories of challenge and brokenness that, oh God, they break your heart. As people reflect on the, the wounds of life and, and the challenge in relationship, God, we know that your design and desire is not for disunity, but to live united. I pray that you would bring your healing, that you would bring forgiveness, and God, that we would sense and know your presence as never before. Show us what it is to make heaven real as we pursue you together. Lord, I know there are those in this place who, God, they may, they may not yet have stepped into relationship with you. I ask that you would, you would allow them to step into that today, to know the fullness of unity with you and your spirit. God, I know there are many of us who 
You have revealed places of brokenness that you want to heal. Relationships that you want to make right. I just ask that you would help us to be faithful in that. Show us what you would have us do. Help us to do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.